Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This is Nick Wright from FS1, and you're listening to The Jake Brown Show. Welcome to The Jake Brown Show. CBS Radio is played out of iTunes, Spotify, where you find a Jake Brown Radio, Jake Brown Show. On social media, on the line with us, now is the man, the myth, the legend. You catch him on Fox Sports 1. You see him with Cowherd. He fills in for Cowherd. Um, and follow him on Twitter at GetNickWright. Nick, what's going on, man? How you doing? Hey, Jake. How's it going, brother? Good to, have, good to talk to you. Everything is good. Nick, a former CBS Sports radio host, and that's how I knew him back in the day. I think it was, what was it, What's Right with Nick Wright was the show? Yeah, I did a show with Ted Johnson, the Patriot champion and radio host in Houston called Split Decision. And then I did a solo show called What's Right with Nick Wright. That is correct. What? made you branch out and what made you kind of come more to be a household name i'd say i mean people have seen your takes and you have fiery takes and uh you're on fs1 you're with a guy like cowherd uh what was it that elevated you you think to the next level oh i i mean probably the same thing that elevates anybody that has some level of i guess notoriety in the field which is some combination i'll let others determine the formula of hard work, luck, and just good timing. I, the, I mean, this is – I was a – went to Syracuse, graduated in 07, did five years of local radio in my hometown in Kansas City. In those five years, I did weekends and then nights and then middays and then afternoons. I then moved to Houston in June of 2012 uh, and did the morning show down there starting in the spring of 2015. I, if I have this right, yeah, the spring of 2015, I started to uh, reach out more to some national entities. I had done a little bit of TV stuff in Houston. And then in the fall, I guess, of that year, headed into 2016, I got, I started to have some opportunities to do some television stuff with FS1 that started with me actually trying to get a radio job with FS1. And it kind of, just metastasized into uh, them wanting to see what I do on television. I had always wanted to do some national formatted show. And so then around the Super Bowl of last year, so not the most recent Super Bowl, the one before, uh, FS1 offered me a job, as did ESPN and CBS. Was I, I had set up my contract where I could leave for a national opportunity, and the people at CBS were just great to me. They didn't step, not only did they not stand in my way, they helped along the process. And uh, I decided to move out to L.A. and work with a couple guys named Jamie Horowitz and Charlie Dixon that had just hired Colin Coward. I didn't know it, but they were getting ready to hire Skip Bayless and do this television thing. And it's been great. It's been a ton of fun. And so, like, that's my path. Along the way, a lot of really, really great people have helped me, including uh, the, the guy who was the star of the radio station in Kansas City when I got there is a guy named Damon Amendolara. CBS mm-hmm. listeners know him as DA. Uh, he, now, he now does a show. He actually, I guess he just changed time slots to now the midday show on CBS Sports Radio. But DA helped me a ton along with a lot of other people. And I was just lucky timing-wise. Uh, it's probably a longer answer than you wanted. But, like, the timing of it when I – when I was graduating college, the economy hadn't tanked yet. 
And so there was a program director named Alan Davis in my hometown that didn't have a job for me, but thought I was talented and liked me. And he just straight up told me, he was like, I don't have a job for you, but I'll just make one for you. And it's not like I was making a lot of money. I was making eight bucks an hour working about Hmm. 22 hours a week. But the economy was in a place where they could add a job like that. Fast forward, you know, a, a year and the economy goes in the other direction. And I benefited from that there as well, because then it, I already was there, and now it was a huge asset to have someone very young and very cheap because some of the older, more established hosts were getting laid off when my company at the time, Intercom, I think the stock dipped to less than a dollar during the financial crisis. So I just good fortune and good timing a couple of times. One other note, just and I just say this in case people are listening, I know radio and TV can be such a frustrating field, uh, and people can think, oh, my God, this was going to be my big break. In 2015, I thought I was leaving CBS for a radio station in Los Angeles. I thought I had the job in the bag for a station called 980 The Beast. And at the very last moment, something happened to where the job offer, which was tentatively offered, was was rescinded. And I was crushed. Hmm. I thought this was an enormous career setback. I was really upset, not because I didn't want to stay in Houston, because I wanted to be out in L.A., Six months later, that radio station changed to Spanish language music Mm -hmm. and fired everyone. So I would have moved my entire family, and I got a wife and three kids, out to L.A. and six months later been out of a job. And so what I thought was a devastating blow actually was a, a huge benefit for me. And so, you know, I mean, that's kind of my path and my story. Yeah, and I enjoy hearing those, being someone in a similar position as 26 and a couple of years just out of college uh it is a tough industry and it's, it's a growing industry and there's just so many new platforms now where you, fs1 wasn't a thing uh five six years ago whenever it was yep. uh, so that's become a new station there's more podcasts the digital world is just taking over people doing facebook live shows now um so the industry's changed and you mentioned D- da who actually is 9 a.m to tw- noon he's the morning uh morning drive on cbs sports radio and the Another guy. Now, how old? Are, what are you? 35, 36, 30, 32. 32. Okay, a couple years off. Um, getting in so young is difficult, and now you have made it at a national level, as Da did in his mid thirties. You two are both in uh, similar spots, um, and that's interesting. You mentioned the beast because I, I talked with George Reister, who was on that station, and they fired him and uh, got rid of his show. Uh, on that station, so that was yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and I don't even, not to correct you, I don't even know if firing is fair to put it. Like, I mean, they change formats. Yeah. And, he, and sometimes, like, if you're a really good sports talk host, and they're like, listen, we're going to change to, you know, alternative rock or to whatever, to hip-hop or something, you might be able to, you can sometimes say, all right, well, I'll stay. I'll spin records and, you know, talk a few times an hour, and sometimes that can work. When they changed to Spanish language, like you're just SOL. I mean, so there was no, there were a lot of really talented people at that station. And it's, I mean, it's no one's fault. It just stinks that that's part of the radio business sometimes. Nick Wright on the line. Uh, get Nick Wright on Twitter. And, and you took your game to the next level here, um, going to a national show. I mean, how difficult is it to be part of a national program? Um, that, that people inside the industry might not know. You're working with a guy, Colin Cowherd, who's probably a top five radio host in the in the world. Um, so how difficult is it to elevate to that next step? Yeah, I don't know if I'm the right person to answer that. I, 
I, I'm kind of a weird guy in that I am at my most calm, my most relaxed, my most content while I'm working. And it's like I am much more, I am much more at ease at work on the air than I am at work riding in the elevator. And so that part wasn't that hard for me. And the other reason it wasn't that hard is, and I will say this till the day I die, I could not in a lab have created a kinder and better person to have walked me through this than Colin. Colin is, in my opinion, and I don't even think it's an opinion, I think he's the greatest sports talk show host ever. Hmm. And the way Colin embraced me immediately, the way Colin, to use a wrestling term, put me over to the audience is something that I, I could live for a thousand years and never fully pay it back. What makes and, Colin different, Nick, in your mind? What makes him number one? Oh, I, you know, it's funny. I've had people ask me that, and I don't know. I don't even know how I could describe what he does. Like, take another guy at my network, right? Skip Bayless. Mm -hmm. Skip Bayless is the best televised sports debater ever. Period, point blank. Whether you like him, hate him, whatever. He is better at that than anyone ever has been. Colin Cowherd is the best person at being Colin Cowherd ever. Like, I don't know what you call it. I just know that Colin can start off with you know, something involving an episode of Empire and end it with the Atlanta Falcons and you're (laughs) captivated for the entire journey and at the end of it, you feel like it made total sense. I honestly also think Colin is so good at that and so creative and takes so many chances that because of his intellect and talent, he pays off. I think he has almost ruined a generation of radio hosts. Because there are so many people my age or younger, my age, your age, somewhere in the middle, Mm -hmm. who grew up listening to Colin. And in their first radio job, they have an opening monologue, and they're 24, and they're right out of college. And they say, let me tell you why the New England – Rob Gronkowski and Tom Brady are like a great marriage. And to the listener, it's like, first of all, man, you've never been married. Second of all, the (laughs) hell are you talking about? Third of all, stop it. And so I think that you, when you have someone that great, you're going to have people mimic it. But you can't – no one could be Mike and the Mad Dog but Mike and the Mad Dog. No matter what you think of his politics, no one could be Rush except Rush. No one was Stern but Stern, and no one's Colin but Colin. And, and to have Colin be a guy that is now a close personal friend is – uh, honestly, it's not overstating it to call it a dream come true. Does he inspire you to get to his level or the next level? I mean, you watch him every day. It's gotta, it's gotta motivate you. Yeah, I, I like to think I'm a pretty self motivated guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I do, I, I, I feel like I have because I've been so lucky. I have a responsibility to take advantage of how many good breaks I've gotten. And so that means trying every day to be as best as I possibly can be. Like one of the reasons I think Colin and I uh, hit it off is because we are both wired the same way. 
that there, it's the evaporating finish line, that, that no matter where you get to, uh, you always are thinking about what's next, and it keeps pushing you and driving you forward. And so, yeah, I mean, I absolutely, it is a good reminder every day of how far I've got to go because every day I listen to and I watch a guy who is, who is so great at something. Yeah, and and I'll say coming from my standpoint, a younger level, watching guys like you do motivate me. Someone at a young age, at thirty two, now taking it to a national level, um, is definitely motivational for me. Nick Wright is on the well, show. I appreciate that. Yeah, and and you're killing it and doing a great job. Um, let let's talk with you about what you are killing. That's some sports talk. Um, the NBA playoffs, obviously, Russell Westbrook uh, said some things. Uh, I believe uh, it was after the game Sunday. Um, where he basically said, "Hey, it's we're all a team, we're all one." Uh, basically, s- just stomped all over one of the guys in the media. What was your take on what Russell did in that spot? Yeah, so a few things about that. One is the reporter was Barry Trammell, and he's probably the most prominent columnist in Oklahoma. So, I mean, he wasn't Russell wasn't punching down, so to speak. It's a big boy with a big boy job. Second, secondarily. It reminded me of when KD did something similar to Russell. When Russell was asked about Mark Cuban saying he's not a superstar, and, Russell's re- and Russell didn't get to respond because KD just called him an idiot. I, now, I thought it was a little weird that Steven never actually spoke, but not, the, Russell's heart was clearly in the right place, and I get what he was doing. I also thought it was a totally legitimate question. Uh, that I don't think Barry Trammell is trying to cause some giant rift in the locker room. Everyone's talking about this. That team is pretty good, okay to pretty good when Russell's on the court, and a total disaster when Russell's off the court. Like, that's just who they've been all year long and into the playoffs. Now, one thing that I, that I will say is I hate when the reporter or the, just the general media immediately just capes up for the reporter. Like, the guy's just trying to do his job. Let's see even... Russell helped him do his job. Whatever banal, cliche answer Stephen Adams is going to give to that question is not nearly as good for your column as what Russell did. So he, Russell actually helped him do his job and helped, and helped that column get more attention. So, I mean, I don't think there was any harm done by any party. Yeah, I agree. I mean, him rea- overreacting to that it went viral. I mean, anything Stephen Adams would say, unless he, he mentions something about Stickham and why Dwight Howard's missing free throws, uh, right. isn't, isn't going viral. Uh, Nick Wright on the Jake Brown Show here. We're talking NBA playoffs. Where are you, Nick, on the MVP side of the fence? You're, I know you're a big LeBron guy, um, but are you on Harden or Westbrook's side? Well, I mean, I, I mean you, if I had a ballot, I, I, to me there's only two real candidates, and it's Harden and LeBron. And that's be, the NBA, we've – we have a standard, it, and, and let me say this. Russ is one of my five favorite basketball players ever. He's been inspiring all season long. He's been must-see television. But we have a rule in the NBA. For 35 years we've had this rule. You cannot win the MVP if your team cannot win the title. If you are not on a three-seed or better, if you are not on a 50-win team or better, you haven't been eligible. And you're like, oh, well, Russell averaged a triple-double. Oscar Robertson averaged a triple-double double, and finished third in the MVP that year. Uh, that same year, Wilt Chamberlain averaged 50 and 26 and finished second in the MVP to Bill Russell. So I just don't think Russell Westbrook's, a re- uh, like, given what the rules are, 
I think he's a solid third. I, Kawhi Leonard is an absurdity as a candidate. Kawhi Leonard's one of the seven or eight best players in basketball. But the idea that he, and he's going to, for the second straight year finish ahead of LeBron in MVP voting is absurd. So then it comes to me down to Harden or LeBron. You can make a good case for either guy. I side with LeBron for a couple reasons. One, well, let me just, let me, point one, I, we all acknowledge LeBron James is the best basketball player in the world. Correct? correct? Yes, correct. Point two, of the candidates, Rockets, Spurs, Thunder, Cavs, which team has the best chance to win the title? It's LeBron's. Yes. Point three, LeBron had a historic season. Three guys ever have averaged 25-8-8 eight, eight on 50% or better shooting. Michael's most efficient year, Oscar's most efficient year, and LeBron this year. LeBron's team, when he was on the court, outscored people by 8.5 points per, possession, per 100 possessions. When he was off the court, they got outscored by 8.5 points per 100 possessions. It was a 17-point swing. Just for context, for Kawhi, it was a point and a half. For Harden, it was a three-point swing. And for Russell, it was a 14-point swing. 17 for LeBron. And then lastly, on Harden, who and Harden and Russ both had brilliant years. But Harden would be getting the award purely for his offense. And his offense was great. But the single worst thing you can do with the basketball is turn it over. And James Harden and Russell Westbrook, for the record, shattered a 35-year-old record that went back to the ABA for most turnovers in a season by a single player. George McGinnis had one, two, and three, and it's been since the early 80s. And Westbrook and Harden shattered it. So I would go LeBron, then Harden, then Russ, then for the four spot, you could argue Steph, you could argue Kawhi. I would have probably argued Durant or uh, CP3, but both those guys got hurt. But to me, it's everyone's saying it's a two-man race, and they're right. I just think they've got the wrong two men. And listen, Russell's going to win it, and I'll be happy for him. I just think we're going to feel silly about it when Russell's team is going to be done playing in 72 hours and LeBron's going to be the best player on the court in the finals for the seventh straight year. I see your point, and play devil's advocate. Well, I'm team Harden, but doesn't 42 triple-doubles and the fact that his roster was not very talented have to say something to you? All right, so a couple things. One is... I don't think that is a roster that's just horrible. Not horrible, but they they don't have any other all-star players on that team. Maybe Oladipo, maybe. Yeah, no, and Oladipo's not an all-star. I agree with you. No, it does say something. It says that Westbrook was amazing. But I just don't think if we if the if the NBA media had decided and they did for for the better part of four decades to win an MVP, your team's got to be awesome. I don't think you should change that in a year where there are other deserving candidates who meet that criteria. And so I just, it's very basic for me. Like, if Russell was doing this and there were no other great candidates, then fine. But if Russell's doing it and there are other great candidates and they're great candidates who also, and the other thing that I'm not mentioning is of all the guys, Russell by far shoots the lowest percentage from three and from the field. And so, like, when that's the case, I just I, – I, I wouldn't feel comfortable giving it to him as much as I love him, but he's going to win the award. Yeah, I agree he's, he's going to win it. Just, I mean, 42 triple-doubles and 
what he did alone is going to be enough. You're you're a team LeBron guy, Nick. Um, so I'm I'm thinking that you're not on board with the Wizards or or the Celtics or or the Raptors or any of these teams giving them a shot uh, in the East. No one that's being honest is on board with that. Mm-hmm. No one actually thinks that. Mm-hmm. People just get bo- people. Nobody since Larry Bird, Celtics, had made four straight finals. LeBron's about to make seven. And people get bored with it. And people want to minimize how unbelievable it is. And people pretend Jordan would have made eight straight, which is an absurdity. He might have still won those six titles, but it wouldn't have been in the order. And like nobody, There's a reason that nobody makes this many finals in a row, because it's thoroughly and totally exhausting. But they're going to make the finals again because they've got – a guy who's going to finish his career at worst as the second best player ever. And so I just, we, we saw it in the first round. The Cavs, people are like, oh, I don't know if the Cavs can flip a switch. They, they played their single worst half of the year, and they followed it up with their single best half of the year in the same game. These guys are going, LeBron's getting, now about to get a week off, They're gonna, and then they're going to go into as favorites against the Bucks to probably finish that series in five. Last year, the fewest games you can play and make the finals is 12. 4-4-4 four, four, four sweep. Last year, they got through the East playoffs in 14. This year, I would imagine they'll do it in 14 again. And people are going to find reasons to act like this team can't win the title. or Of course they can win the title. They're going to be in the finals. They're going to have the best player in the finals. And if they're playing the Warriors, they're going to have an enormous mental edge because all the pressures on the Warriors, and because the Warriors choked against them last year. So I just, yeah, I mean, no, I'm not worried about the Cavs. N- n- never this season once, and my, I've got the receipts on Twitter, have I been worried about the Cavs. They are, to me, still, and I know everyone thinks I'm crazy, 538 gives them a 3% chance. They're the favorites to win the championship because, they have, because it's basketball, and when you have one overwhelmingly great player, you're the favorite. Like, I just, the, the, when Michael Jordan was in his prime, the Bulls were the favorite every year. LeBron James is in his prime. The Cavs are the favorite every year. But them not clicking at times and, and Kevin Durant probably being healthy here, you would think come playoff time, uh, why, that, that doesn't why scare do we you? Think, hold on, hold on. Why well, do we think Kevin Durant's going to be healthy? Well, I mean, they're, they're resting him enough where you think he'll be okay. I'm saying if he is healthy, how does that Warriors team not scare the Cavs? I'm sure people, sure, scare. I mean, it's sports. Anything can happen. But if we want to go, like, guy for guy, LeBron is far better than Kevin Durant. In the finals, I have no reason to believe Steph Curry, at the end of a six-week playoff run, we've seen what the little guy happens to him in the finals. I have no reason to believe he's better than Kyrie Irving. And then the rest of it, like, sure, I mean, Draymond or Clay better than Kevin Love, sure. But I, not, I don't care. Like, it's, bas- it's basketball. And in basketball, the team that has the best player on the court should be the favorite almost every time, even if it's just a slight favorite. Like, this is how these – why should the Clippers beat the Jazz? Oh, because they got the best player. Why should the Spurs beat the Grizzlies? Because they got the best player. Why should – why do the – the series that sh- people shouldn't have thought was a toss-up, but people convinced themselves was, Thunder Rockets. Why do people conv- convince themselves was a toss-up? Because some people think the Thunder have the best player. What about, let's go to the, uh, the East. 
the, the Bucks have handled the Raptors. Why? Because the Bucks have the best player in Giannis. Mm-hmm. Like, this is it, – it, it's it, other sports don't work this way. Basketball does. If you have the best player and the other guys on your team are at least borderline competent, you have a fighting chance. And if you have the best player and the other guys on your team are good, you're the favorite. Mick Wright joining us on the Jake Brown Show. Um, can, can you say Giannis's last name for me? Yeah, it's, there's some controversy on how it's pronounced, but I believe it's Antinacumpo. There you go. Don't tell that to Mike Francesa. Um, yeah. Now, we're, we're talking about the Rockets' Thunder game, and you tweeted about it earlier. Your take on the Rockets really kind of laughing off uh, Roberson's near air ball free throws. It, I mean, it's not the biggest deal in the world. I thought it was a bad look for pros. That just struck me as something you do, like summer league AAU stuff as kids. Uh, I don't think it's something you do in the NBA playoffs, and I don't think the Rockets management thought it was a great look for the organization. What happens, Nick, with Carmelo Anthony and the Knicks? Where, where does this uh, franchise go in the offseason? Uh, well, you know, it's interesting. I, I would have said Melo is just going to be uh, – just going to hold Phil's feet to the fire and say, I have a no trade. You can't trade me. But one of the real reasons that the I believe Mello so desperately wanted to stay in New York was because his wife wanted to stay in New York because Lala wanted to be in New York. And reports are his wife may not be his wife much longer. And that definitely changes the math here. I think, you know, I think Melo's better off leaving New York. I think what Phil has done is an embarrassment and an affront to sports. Like, you signed him to this contract, you gave him the no-trade clause, and now you are publicly. Could you imagine if a player one year after signing a max deal was demanding they fire the GM he signed with? Like, we would, the player would get killed. Phil's doing that. So, like, what Phil's doing is sports treason. But now that Melo and Lala had the falling out, I wonder if for Melo, if he doesn't open up his options to possibly being traded. Is it a complete rebuild for the Knicks? Rose gone. I mean, they got to keep Noah with his contract. Uh, Melo gone. Is this going to be a team that may win 15, 20 games next year? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it would depend on what you get for Melo. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I would think that would be the best, the best plan. I, I said before, I said at the trade deadline, and people laughed at me, but now especially given the injury, it looks smarter. I said the Knicks should call up the Clippers and just offer them one for one, Blake for Mello. I don't think the Clippers would ever do that, though. Well, it's interesting because Blake's on an expiring contract. Yeah, Blake. I think the Clippers knew and know that the DJ Blake CP3 triumvirate was never going to beat the Warriors. And CP3 is also on an expiring contract. Mm-hmm. And Mello's one of his best friends. And so if you raise your chances of keeping CP3, you add a player who is a much better fit, because Blake and DJ are redundant. Blake and Melo are not. You add a player who's a much better fit, and if you're the Knicks, obviously you do it, because even though Blake has health concerns, he's younger, and so he fits more the Porzingis trajectory. I think it would have been at least a bold move for the Clippers. And while, yeah, you're probably not getting the, quote, better, unquote, player in the deal, you are changing up what you know is a formula that does not beat the Warriors, which means a formula that doesn't get you out of the second round. 
Yeah, I mean, if the Knicks Knicks turn that down, they'd be crazy. That would be a steal of a deal for them, and just getting rid of uh, Mello's contract. Nick Wright is on the show with us now, transitioning quickly to football. Nick, is it a no-brainer here, Miles Garrett for the Browns, and then maybe uh, later on go get a quarterback? Yeah, I mean, the let me put it like this. If there's a quarterback you like enough to take at 12, you should take him at number one. Hmm. The, and I don't know if that quarterback exists. But here is something I know about the NFL draft. If a quarterback is in the first round considered a successful pick four years after being drafted, that quarterback was more valuable than every player in that draft except for quarterbacks who are better than him. So the idea that a quarterback would be a reach at one but a good pick at ten is absurd. There is no quarterback that if you pick him ten, goes out and produces whatever he produces, that people are going to say, oh, yeah, that's a great pick, that if you took the same guy at one, you would say he's a bad pick. And conversely, there is no quarterback that if you took at at one is a bad pick that would somehow be a good pick if you took him at ten. If you think there is a quarterback out there worth a first-round pick, he is more valuable than every player in the draft except for any quarterback you think is better than him, period, point blank. So they've got to do their own quarterback evaluations. But if there's a guy they're like, oh, yeah, we definitely take him at 12 or whatever their next pick is, then they should take him at number one. Well, I would disagree with that in terms of they can get one, they could get uh, Garrett, and then 12, they could uh, – What's uh, Mahomes is still going to be on the board at 12. He's not going in the top ten. How do you so so like people have told you who they're drafting? No, but I mean I mean he he's not the top quarterback on the board, and you wouldn't imagine he goes in those first eleven. So I, I think you can wait it out till twelve. But I mean, well then, all right, but then so let me. I mean, here's the thing. I just you might be right, and a lot of teams think the way you think. My point is, if you think he's good enough to take it twelve, the idea that no team thinks he's good enough to trade up for and get at eleven. It's a risky move for the only position on your team that actually matters. Mm-hmm. We'll see how it plays out. I, th- I think I think that's the I can't speak right now. I think that is best for them uh, to see if they can wait and get Mahomes because I I don't trust Trubinsky. I mean the guy's just played too little uh, college football <laughs> to really be trusted as a top five ten pick. But so let me can, can, can we and we don't have to spend too much time on this. You say you don't trust him as a top ten pick. Do you trust him as the twentieth pick? He's a first rounder. I'll say towards the end of the first round, he okay. he's got so, that so talent. I, so please just help me with this. Okay. And this is what I don't understand. Tell me the career. Either give me a player or give me just an arbitrary stat line. The player at the quarterback position that you think ends up being a good pick at twenty two, but a bad pick at two. A good pick at twenty two. A bad pick at two. <laughs> I mean, I think Trubinsky defines that. No, 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 no. A guy in the league who you think that this is the example. Oh, okay. This is the level of play. Bad picket. Oh, that is a good one. Um, because it doesn't exist. Yeah, that would take because me some time to point. think. The point is, if you get a good quarterback, he's worth the number one pick every time. Uh, yeah. the, 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 unless there was a better quarterback you could have taken. So, like, the, the, so Derek Carr went 34. Obviously, if you could do it again, he goes number one. Mm-hmm. Like the and and people are like, oh, you reach, but no, because he's good. 
That one position is so valuable. Every good quarterback in the league, every single one of them, Cam, Russell Wilson, Brady, Big Ben, Matt Ryan, name them. Name all the the 12 good quarterbacks. Knowing what Phillip Rivers, knowing what we know about them now, if you went back and let teams redraft, all of those guys go first, second, or third, with the only people in front of them being quarterbacks in their draft class that are better than them. Every single one of them. And so, like, yes, it's a risk to, to put that much capital in that position and that player, but my point is, like, if he ends up if, – if, if, and I don't know anything about Mitch Trubisky. I don't care to know anything about Mitch Trubisky. I don't need to for my job. Like, not yet. But if Mitch Trubisky is picked 27th, and if four years later his team was like, damn, we did great with that pick, then he would have been an amazing pick at seven as well. Conversely, like, Ryan Tannehill went 11th. That's a bad pick. At 1, 11, 21, and 31. Like, there's a, the, once you, maybe once you get to the 60s, you're like, oh, okay, we're all right with it. But in, if the quarterback isn't good, then there is no first-round pick where he's a good value because he's not good. And if the quarterback is good, then there's no first-round pick where he, you're overpaying for him. That's why Nick is on FS1 and I'm on Play. No, 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 no. I most, by the way, I, I've run the same thing by GMs and they think mm. I'm crazy. But I just don't think the. I just think the. If you just look at the quarterbacks in the league and and you break it down, you can just very clearly say, okay, the guy is either worth a top five pick, or I would not want my team to spend a top 100 pick on him. There's like, I'm yet to find the quarterback where it's like, boom, at 35, great value. But at four, he would have been a disaster. And at 70, I would be doing backflips. I just haven't seen that guy. It would take me, I would have to do some research to get back to you. But if I find one, I will make sure to find tw- one, tweet, tweet it at you. Find one, tweet it to me, get Nick Wright. All right. Text me. <laughs> Nick Wright, FS1, uh, catch him there. Uh, Nick, uh, appreciate you coming on. Enjoy the convo, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, man. Anytime, absolutely. Thank you, Jake. Good luck with it. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. 